Hello listeners, welcome back to another episode of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here with some more tunes and talk of feminism. This week, I'm joined by Kate Meyer of Downtrotter. Kate is a brilliant voice in the Philadelphia hardcore scene who gets very raw and passionate about her take on creating music. Her story is incredibly personal and powerful, and really speaks to what hardcore music is really capable of doing for people. Let's listen to some Downtrotter now, then get into the interview with Kate. you kate about all things downtrotter but um, i'm excited too yeah it's it's super cool um you know i've gotten really into of course that more of the hardcore style music lately and it's even more exciting to get to hear a band like downtrotter producing it so it's thank you it's it's so cool so can you tell me about how you first became involved in music and then kind of how you found your way into hardcore oh yeah sure um so I actually started playing music when I was very young. Um, I was really lucky and my parents one year for Christmas um, bought my family a piano and gave my two sisters and I uh, piano lessons as part of the present. Um, so I started taking piano when I was eight. And then a few months later, once I had learned how to read music, I started stealing my sister's trumpet and going out into the garage and teaching myself how to play trumpet. Um, and then I was involved in school bands, uh, like basically any school band group that needed a trumpet player, I was involved in it um, up until I graduated. And then I went to Westchester University for uh, approximately a quarter of a semester for music education and realized as soon as I got there uh, that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I also had a really bad experience um, with the trumpet studio there. It was very much a boys club and it, was not any fun and I was like I don't want to spend the rest I don't want to spend four years trying to prove myself to these guys um and it was actually while after I had dropped out of the music program but I was still taking cl music classes uh there was a flyer for a uh a ska punk band that was looking for horn players and I was like oh well I like the Boston's I'm gonna give them a call <laughs> and I started playing with them in 2003 and I've just basically been playing in some kind of punk band since then um the uh I guess I kind of got more into hardcore um over the last couple years I was kind of into it 
uh, in the early 2000s. Um, but it was really hard to find, at least for me, it was very hard to find um, hardcore music that wasn't very dismissive or outright uh, terrible to women. Um, I sure love the way that Glassjaw's music sounded, um, but the lyrical content was just so awful that I just, I couldn't take it and I got really turned off of hardcore because of that. Um, and then I started playing in a ska core band, which is ska with hardcore, um, and listening to a lot more hardcore because of the people that I was around and I just got more and more and more into it. Um, and the more I got into it, people were like, oh, you should check this band out. They talk about the wage gap. You should listen to this band. They talk about catcalling. Um, and it kind of led me into a lot more hardcore music. And then I was like, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I'm going to start a hardcore band. So that was, that was basically the whole thing is I started out in classical, did some time in punk bands, and then decided I had a bunch of things that I wanted to yell at people too. <laughs> no, that's, that's badass, especially knowing that, you know, you started to find the music that made you feel like you could get your voice across and your messaging across. Cause at times, you know, I, I never tried to stigmatize the genre, but hardcore can be challenging to get into. I feel like because yeah. of a lot of the bands that kind of have a more, aggressive tonality to them so yeah I mean I think there's the aggression in it is great and it's something that's needed and um it's almost like comforting to me um to go to a show where I love the music and the somebody in the band is you know the, the lyricist or the people in the band are going through the same kinds of things as me and I can stand there and yell about these things right back in their faces it is very comforting but yeah. there are some people that that's not what they do at hardcore shows and it can be very off-putting there are bands that I'd love to see but I'm just like well I'm just gonna end up standing in the back the whole time or I'm gonna get hurt and that's kind of not so great either um and i think hardcore um a, you know a lot of music genres have this problem um but there is a there's a gatekeeper aspect to it too where it's like oh well you've never listened to bane or you've never listened to this band and it's like no i haven't i i tried it and it wasn't for me so what's the big deal have you listened to these bands that i like well you can still come to my hardcore shows <laughs> So uh, I think that's another thing that's really difficult for a lot of people to get over too, is that there's so much music out there already and people will try to keep you out if you don't already know about that music. And I think that's just so pointless. Yeah, that's almost like there's this mentality of like, you have to know X, Y, and Z bands to feel like you can be accepted in a culture that is generally supposed to be for people who are misfits anyway. It seems a little exactly. odd to like push people out. I you know, I feel like that's such an issue across so many genres, like, especially for, like, punk and hardcore in particular, there's always this, like, weird in-but-out battle that you almost have to do sometimes with, like you said, that gatekeeper mentality and such, so. Absolutely, yeah, and it's, I mean, in the same thing in punk, too, where people will be like, oh, you've never listened to, you know, Leftover Crack or uh, Bad Religion, and I'm like, yeah, I've heard a few songs, it wasn't for me, so I listened to something that was for me. But if I had listened to those bands, not liked them, and then continued to go to listen to them and buy their shirts and go to their shows, you would call me a poser. So yeah. I don't know what you want me to do. Pick one. <laughs> it's like, how about I just be legitimate in my own way? And this is what yeah. I like, and you like what you like, and that's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would love for the scene to be more like that. I'm pushing for it. That's for damn sure. 
<laughs> Good. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, with that mentality of being able to kind of push back and enjoy what you like, what were some of the bands that kind of started to shape your mentality and make you feel like, yeah, I can do whatever the fuck I want and here's my platform and here's what I want to say? Um, so part of, I, I think one of the people who really inspired me is actually one of my old bandmates, Eula Bieri. Uh, she's in a band called Eula and the Extended Family. Um, and she completely runs her show. She does everything. She, you know, everything is up to her. And it was very inspiring to me to see, um, you know, a woman who was in that capacity that was running the whole show and was completely in charge. Um, but also, um, you know, bands that, like I said, we're talking about things that I care about, like, you know, uh, Circe and Punch and War on Women and Gouge Away and Night Witch. Um, we're all kind of talking about these things that affect the lives of women and femmes um, and talking about them from a very honest point of view and never holding back on their anger, never holding back any emotion related to that and saying a lot of things that I was, I had been thinking, um, but had never really said except for in like a casual conversation. Um, I think a really, really great example of that is, um, uh, say it by war on women. Mm -hmm. Um, just to have the ability to say out loud, I was raped. And for a lot of people that I know that it's a very healing thing to be, at a war on women show and shouting, I was raped and putting it out there and being able to confront this thing that is supposed, a lot of people are trying to keep very hush hushed and they never want to hear about it. And which makes it that much harder to come out when something uh, does happen to you, whether it's sexual assault or rape. Um, so a, a lot of the bands that were just talking about things that I thought about all the time, um, but the big three were like war on women and gouge away and night witch for me personally. Yeah, those are all very incredibly vocal bands. And, you know, from all, all the way from the tonality of the music to the lyrics themselves, I think so much of that shows that almost what I would consider to be the better qualities of what hardcore is and what it can be in the sense of like, it's raw, it's angry, there's a lot of emotion and depth to it. And right. on top of that, there's like political messages, there's personal messages, and there's just so much in it that can really just take on a lot of what so many people are feeling and a lot of it's universal too yeah oh absolutely I mean a lot of the things that they talk about in those songs um are things that you know almost all women and femmes experience I don't want to say that everyone experiences all of these things yeah um but it's things where it's almost like you know, when I meet other women or femmes in bands, then it's almost like there's like a secret bond there immediately because we know what that person has probably been through because it's probably very similar to our own problems. And it's the same kind of thing when you listen to like War and Women or Gouge Away or Night Witch, where they're talking about these problems that I've specifically had. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, but the... Um, just overall, yeah, the music is just um, fantastic. And I think all three of those bands are really great examples of two that uh, each of them put out one thing that was like pretty good and it was like really enjoyable. And then the next thing that they put out just absolutely blew you away. 
Um, you know, War on Women put out an amazing EP, Improvised Weapons, and then when they put out their full length, I was just like, I was on a plane on the way back from St. Louis the first time I heard it, and like, I cried, I had to like, refrain myself from punching the seat in front of me, um, I just kind of like, lost my mind listening to this, and the same thing with like, Gouge Away and Night Witch, um, just listening to them and being like, just thank you for saying this, and for saying it in such an amazing way, and um, and some of the songs are about things that I don't even really experience, um, but I have heard so many times from other women and femmes. Uh, Night Witch has this amazing song about clothes, and it's called Dresses, and it's about dresses with pockets, and how sizing is stupid, or you know, sizing doesn't make sense, um, and how it's ridiculous to find a dress, how difficult it is to find a dress with pockets or fancy slacks with pockets. Um, and personally, that's not something that I really think about all that often because I don't really ever wear dresses, but it's something that I've heard so many times from women and friends that every time someone brings up a dress with pockets, I think of that song immediately. Um, so, you know, even though this isn't something that's completely universal, it's something that even when I have an experience that I've known about it and I've heard about it. Um, so that's, that's really just wonderful. <laughs> It is. And like so much of that music is very connective. It's like, even if you don't directly experience something that, you know, they're, they're talking about in that song and something you either know, you know, someone who's experienced that it's just, mm -hmm. it, it just hits very hard. Um, you know, for example, like I think of like the YouTube comments song that Warren women had oh. also, and it's like, wow. yeah, I've never been attacked on social media to that extremity. I mean, everybody has the occasional troll that you fend off and stuff, but like with how mm -hmm. aggressive that those comments were that they just put out there in a song, it's like, yeah, I've never received that, but I've had people say some pretty shitty stuff to me because of like my gender, my ethnicity, whatever art I'm working yeah. on, whatever. And it's like, you know, you can just kind of step back for a minute and think about that. And, you know, it, it's just really cool that that comes out and that style of music with hardcore it's like yeah we just lay it bare and exactly yeah really and I feel it all yeah I was I was really blown away by that song I know a lot of guys who are really blown away by that song yeah um first off that they had turned it around on the trolls but second I don't I think a lot of times guys don't realize um the extent that women in the public eye or women and femmes in the public eye, the extent that they're trolled and the extent that these things come out, because, you know, it's one thing if somebody says something nasty, nasty to you online and you're just like, yeah, whatever. But it's another thing when, you know, you post your art out there and the responses that you get are about like talking about your vagina and like the, the closing lines of that song are terrifying because yeah. the guy talks about how he wants to uh slit shauna's throat and it's like what is wrong with you i mean how you would never ever say this to a person face to face and i know that you feel a little bit of safety because of your anonymity yeah. but it's it's just absolutely ridiculous that that there are men out there who think that this is okay to say or that you know they're doing it for the lulls or whatever and it's it's not funny um so I did, I do really enjoy that song and how it turns around. And I think there are some dudes who started to kind of think about the extent of harassment that happens to women and femmes in the public eye. I mean, we're not even a big band whatsoever. Um, we've been around for like a year and we've received 
uh, one email where the person had to clarify that they sent an email saying that our music sucked. And then I sent a second email clarifying that the drums and the guitar were good, but the vocals were absolute shit. And I thought that was really funny because the guitar and the drums happen to be played by people with men's names. They are men. And the vocals and bass are done by people who are women with women's names. So I thought it was really funny how it just happened to be that the drums and the guitar sounded great, but my vocals were just terrible. Um, and that's, and that's for a band that is barely doing it. I mean, we're around, but we're not a big band. We don't play big shows. We play basement shows in Philadelphia. Um, and to just get, and then, you know, I, me being kind of petty, I was going to take their email address and sign them up for like, uh, you know, the Hillary Clinton newsletter and, uh, the national organization of women newsletter and stuff like that. And it turned out that it wasn't even a real email. And I was wow. like, so you're such a, you're such a coward that you can't even be honest in your email. Like what you couldn't even give me a real burner email. Like you gave me a fake burner email. That's how, how much of a coward you are. And I saved the screenshots to my phone to remind myself like that how easily people are riled up by someone saying, Hey, you know, maybe like Tosh.0 isn't such a great television show or Hey, maybe don't hit your girlfriend. Like to, to get that riled up over something so simple is, is like kind of comical at this point. Um, but I might feel differently if that ha ever happens to change. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane how much effort people will put into saying something to so negative. Who are like, yeah, to people who are like, you know, putting into an art form. That's one thing that's like probably my pet peeve, or probably beyond that. It's just, you know, if anybody has anything negative to say about art or something that somebody's creating, I'm like, look, step back for a second. Somebody put themselves into this. Yeah. Why do you got to tear it down? Just like, just because you didn't like it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's a, there's a huge difference between someone uh, emailing me and saying like, Hey, I, I read your lyrics and I thought, you know, I thought about this line and I was wondering blah, blah, blah. And we open a conversation and have a dialogue and they give me some, uh, you know, constructive critical feedback. I'm totally open to that 100%. But to just send me an email saying that my vocals suck and there's not enough range. Like, come on, dude. Like, come on. You don't have anything better to do on this Tuesday afternoon or Thursday or whatever it is. Like, you know, Facebook Messenger, if you open it up, it has like 20 different games in it. You can challenge all of your Facebook friends. That seems like a better use of my time and a better use of your time than sending somebody a nasty email from a fake email address. <laughs> I'll accept your Candy Crush invites over your insane, like, going off on me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would much rather receive a Candy Crush invitation <laughs> than someone just like tearing me down for the sake of tearing me down. That's just, what, do we have anything better to do? Come on. <laughs> Amen to that. You know, Yeah. like I think one of the things that, you know, and that's probably why I started to really cling on to the music that Downtrotters put in together is there's a lot of strength there and there's something you can turn to whenever you're kind of burdened by all the BS that's on the internet. Um, Thank you. Like I, I think about actually the song kill switch. First of all, I love the Mad Max Fury road references for Furiosa. Thank I, you. The, She's I just, my idol. I, she is queen. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I, I just want to unleash her upon 
all of these asses that are out there, honestly. But same, same. Was, was she kind of like the focal, like driving point of writing this song, or what all went into that? Um. So I really, I mean, I, I love Mad Max Fury Road. Absolutely. Uh, the wallpaper on my phone is actually a picture of Furiosa um, because that movie was, is, is just amazing. And I can talk about it for hours, but I won't. <laughs> um, but really what that song came out of was um, I, I've been through an abusive relationship. I know so many people have been through abusive relationships um, and there's this feeling after you've gotten out of your abusive relationship. I mean, I haven't seen my abuser in, I think, 10 years at this point. I think we ran into each other at a show in like 2007. Um, But there's this feeling that it's never going to be over until that person is dead. And I know that sounds really horrible, but you hear a lot of stories about, uh, you know, people who got away from their abuser successfully. And then a year later, that person came back and killed them. Or, you know, they, they, they never really got away from that person or that person kept tracking them down and sending them messages and stuff like that. And um, I've been very lucky in that my abuser did get the message the last time that they tried to contact me. Um, I was very explicit in that I was going to get a restraining order and that this was going to be a big problem for them. Um, and I do have a paper trail surrounding that as well. Um, but I knew a lot of people who were getting contacted by their abusers and kind of felt like they were never, ever going to escape from that relationship. And the idea just kind of came out of a combination of Mad Max Fury Road and the A-Team. And basically it was this fantasy that um, people who were in abusive relationships could call up Furiosa like she was part of the A-Team and be like, hey, my boyfriend's beating me up. I need your help. And Furiosa would show up and run them over with her truck basically that was like the whole thought process behind it was just kind of this pipe dream that you could just make abusers go away permanently I love um, that imagery of like just her freaking plowing down all of these horrendous excuses of human beings yeah yeah me too um I uh I, I would love to see it happen honestly <laughs> but and, and Furiosa is just like a big uh Furiosa was very important to me personally as a character too Um, because if you watch a lot of movies where there's like a woman assassin or a woman hero, she's always sexualized in some kind of way. I mean, even if, you know, some, another series, you know, another movie that I really, really like, I like the Hunger Games series. Um, even Katniss is sexualized throughout the whole thing, even though at the beginning of the series, I think she's supposed to be 15 or 16. Um, and in the first movie, there's like a scene of her taking a bath. For basically no reason um, and th- that can t- that happens in a lot of movies um, where you know there's this sex the sexy female assassin and she pulls up her tight skirt to reveal a knife and she stabs a guy in the back you know something like that at no point does that ever happen with Furiosa at no point is Furiosa sexualized or is there some kind of will they, won't they kind of mentality between her and Max, that never happens. And that meant so much to me um, as someone who goes out of their way to desexualize themselves on stage and desexualize themselves in the public eye, um, also as a very butch person, that this was someone who at no point put on a sexy outfit and uh, used the powers of seduction as a way to kill someone. Furiosa never does that. She just fucking shoots you. She just shoots you. 
or she stabs you or she fights you or she runs you over or she never seduces you to get you close. She just kills you. And I, and I found that to be, I know that might sound really weird, but I found that to be very inspiring to know that women could do. And you know, it's a, it's that idea that women have to be sexy to do whatever. No, they don't. They can just be assassins. They can be, you know, uh, you know, the leaders of their crew. And the other thing too, that I love about Mad Max and I love about Furiosa is that when they first start out that journey, all the war boys think they're just going on another regular trip. And that's not the case whatsoever. But when Furiosa says, change of plans, we're heading east, no one questions her. They say, all right, change the plans, we're going east. That's what the boss says. And I think the one guy literally refers to her as boss says, we're going east. And that's the mentality. And I love that about it, that there was absolutely no question that she was in charge. Um, and there are tons of other things that I love about Mad Max too, but Furiosa... Uh, really, really meant something to me as, as a butch woman who has no urge to sexualize herself uh, as a way to get ahead or as a way to fit in or anything like that. Yeah, I think there's a lot that you can kind of take from not only that movie, but, you know, the song too, in the sense of like, you know, there's a lot of empowerment for people who have been harmed and there's a lot mm -hmm. of self-empowerment. You know, you can either see the side of being the person who is defending and caring and, you know, just not taking any more bullshit. And mm -hmm. you can also see the lens of seeing somebody who is there to stand with a victim or somebody who's been through something. So it's just incredible to kind of have that as the center being Furiosa. <laughs> uh, yeah. But he just embodies all of that, you know, just the true strength and the true identity of somebody who is just a badass and who's not going to yeah. take it. And that's like probably one of my favorite ideals of seeing, you know, women and femmes in hardcore is being able to see that projected into the music also. So it's yeah. just cool to kind of see that all kind of come together in one piece of the <laughs> song. It was like, yes, perfection. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's I appreciate, I appreciate for. that a lot. I appreciate <laughs> that so much. <laughs> it's just one of those things that like you start to look for in the music and, I feel like so many of the things that I personally am listening for in music, I can turn to within so many of your songs. Like, uh, you know, another song where you kind of brought up the whole like anti-abuse scenario was also with Miller Lowlife. I loved how you kind of, it sounds like you kind of wrote from the perspective of somebody who is trying to assist another person who's been through abuse. And, you know, it's just fascinating to kind of, see how dark and how painful and how deep the experience of abuse really is through that sense. Can you kind of talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, to be completely honest, that song is uh, a, a page out of my own life. Um, I was in this uh, bad relationship uh, with a guy who uh, was an alcoholic and got drunk every single night. Um, and it was very similar to, uh, there's, a, there's something in Alzheimer's patients and dementia, dementia patients called sundowning, um, where as the sun goes down, um, they start to get upset and they start to become confused. Um, and it's something that happens every single day. And it was very similar with my abusers as the sun went down, he would get drunker and drunker and drunker. And if there wasn't someone else around to, for him to pay attention to and to soak up some of his energy, 
um, all of it would come out on me. And there was actually a friend um, who I was, you know, friends with both of us who I would text and say, hey, it's going to be a bad night. Is there any way you can come over after work? Uh, is, you know, is there any way that you could just come by for a while? And there were a few months where, you know, that friend slept over at my house. He would quote unquote drink too many beers. Um, and not be able to drive home, but really he was staying there to make sure that I was okay. Um, and there were, you know, times where he would stay at our house four or five nights a week just to make sure that I was okay. And he ended up being one of the people that really helped me when I could finally leave that relationship. Uh, he turned out to be one of the people who continued helping me, um, you know, helped me move my stuff out of the apartment, uh, was just a shoulder to cry on and he was an ear to me. Um, and so the song is, is partially for him, but it's also partially for me um, to talk about my experiences. A lot of why Downtrotter started was because I, had, I have this buildup of emotions and um, just anger of, about how this happened and how it's still affecting my life now. Um, and I kind of felt like I had gotten to this point where either I was going to start getting that stuff out or it was just going, I was going to collapse and it was just going to eat me alive. Um, so being able to express those things, um, has really been ex extremely helpful to me to be go, to be able to go up on stage and yell these things and also to, to hear from other people that it means something to them and, and it affected them, um, or it made them feel better about, um, about their situation and about the things that they went through. It has, has really helped me personally very much. Um, you know, a friend of mine who had gone through uh, a very similar relationship to my own in that it was a, a lot of abuse and not so a lot of emotional abuse and not a, not a lot of physical abuse, but a lot of gaslighting, a lot of uh, put downs and stuff like that and keeping you away from your friends and family um, had told me. I'm going to pretend this song, I'm going to pretend Killswitch is about my abuser. And I said, well, Killswitch is about your abuser. It's about everyone's abuser. It's about how I'm, how Furiosa and I are going to come kill your abuser for you because I, I don't want them to be around anymore. Um, so if there's, you know, if I can help other people feel better about the situations that they've been through, that helps me even more to know that I'm offering this place of refuge. Because again, I mean, just like rape, um, abusive relationships are, uh, there's there's still a huge stigma to talk about them. There are a lot of people who don't understand how they work, and they think that people who stay with their abusers are not intelligent, or they they have problems, or they just don't understand why they won't leave. Um, and for people like that, I would encourage you to read more about how abusive relationships work, or they don't understand how they got trapped into this relationship as if on the first date that I ever went on with my abuser, he poured a beer over my head and called me an asshole. That's not what happens. Abusers are very charming people. Um, they're very good at putting on uh, a public face and being very funny. And then, you know, slowly as time goes on, that's when they become emotionally manipulative and then maybe they punch a wall and then the next time they break a window and then the next time they hit you. So it's a buildup of these things. And you have this idea in your head of this person, I met them, they were so great and they're so charming and sometimes they're really wonderful to be around. And maybe if I try harder, if I help them out more, if I pay more of the rent so that they don't have to work as hard, or I pay all the bills so that they don't have to go to their job that they hate so much, 
maybe, maybe they won't be like this. If I just love them enough, they'll change for me. And the thing is that person's never going to change, but you're trapped in this idea that maybe someday that they will. And what really needs to happen is you have to realize it yourself that this person isn't going to change because there were a couple of people who were like, Hey, you shouldn't hang around with him. He's not good for you. And I was like, whatever. I just need to love him more. And that's definitely not the case. No matter how much I loved him, he wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to be a different person. Um, so to be able to talk about these kind of things um, and express them when for so long I had kept them inside of me, it, it is it made a huge positive change in my life. Um, and also through being in my band and talking to other people, um, it's made it easier for me to reach out for help when I need it. Um, made it easier for me to seek out therapy, which I actually just started. Um, and without that, I, without downtrotter, I, I, I don't know what would have happened. I don't want to say I'd be dead or anything, but I would definitely be struggling with that a lot with, with my, my past relationship a lot more than I am now. It's really, well, first of all, thank you so much for, you know, that kind of honesty and, you know, talking so openly about your experiences. I know yeah. that, you know, that there's a lot that a person goes through and, you yeah. know, to, to hear that downtrotter has been one of those things that has given you some strength and the ability to kind of get your feelings out. I'm, that's just incredible to me. Yeah. You know, the people in the band are in, incredibly supportive as well. Um, you know, I talk about them. I talk to them about the lyrics and stuff like that. You know, everything that was written on the EP is, is my are my lyrics. Um, but I do talk to them about stuff like this and, and uh, you know, kind of run it by them and be like, hey, I'm going to write a song about killing my abuser. Are you guys OK with that? And, you know, the general consensus was, yes, that sounds great. Um, so that 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 has been helpful too and uh and my other band the best of the worst uh i play trumpet in um have always been very supportive and uh they know about my past they've you know been uh friends of mine for a long time some of them before the band but i i mean they have been always very supportive and let me talk about these kinds of things um or you know and when things happen where uh, a guy gives me a gives me the creeps and I need to get away from them. You know, both downtrodder and, be and best of the worst have been really good um, at keeping their eyes on stuff like that and understanding that sometimes I have very um, odd reactions to people. Um, there are certain things that set me off that may not set other people off. It's just the nature of, um, of, of abuse and having, you know, some having trauma in your past. There's going to be things that, you know, uh, upset you and some things that, you know, straight up trigger you. And I have, I, I do have a couple of triggers. I'm very lucky that they're not things that happen often to me. Um, but there have been times where, you know, I was watching a movie and something happened and I started disassociating. Um, and I'm very lucky to have the people around me that I do that can help me out with things like that. That's, that's so awesome to know that at least you, you have this really great structure around you, bandmates that support you and, are there for you sounds like at shows during practice, writing songs yeah. everywhere. So that's, that's gotta be really incredible. And then, you know, to be able to perform your songs live, that's gotta be an experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I was kind of scared. I was kind of scared when we first started a little bit um, that 
some of the messages might be um, extreme. I had a, I had a bad feeling that there was going to be pushback um, on you know a song like Kill Switch that is openly about killing an abuser. Um, but it's actually pretty surprising. A lot of times before we play Miller High Life, I tell the or Miller Low Life, I tell the audience, if you hit your girlfriend and I find out about it, I'm going to find you and kill you. And most of the time, that's met with cheers and applause. And I do not really ever expect that reaction, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, and I've I've made jokes like that on stage before, and they're usually well received. And then, you know, the first time I said that was at like our second show, and I got off stage, and I was like, "I'm so sorry, y'all. I just got wrapped up in the moment." And they were like, "No, no, no. Say that every time. Say that every single time we play Miller Low Life. Let them know that you're serious about this." So, um, so they've they've been very supportive of my. I guess diarrhea mouth on stage as well because sometimes I will say stuff like that. No, it's important. I think especially, you know, when you're going into a show where again, it, it sometimes there's a crowd that is particularly aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. and you want it to be an inclusive space, getting these kind of messages out is so important and you know, to you, it may feel like diarrhea mouth, but to everybody else who's like hearing that in the crowd, it's like, oh shit, that's important. That's something yeah. I have to think about. Or, you know, it, it, whether it's somebody who's committing that horrible of an action or somebody who knows another person who is abusing their partner, it's mm. important to get that kind of messaging out there. Like, no, that's bullshit. Don't ever let somebody harm another person. Like, exactly. Yeah. That's important yeah. to get out there. So I, I appreciate knowing that, you know, your band is putting that kind of messaging into, you know, music in general. So that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, you know, there's so many really cool messages that I feel like you're putting out there too. Um, you know, one of the things that you kind of mentioned earlier a little bit was like, you know, Tosh.0 and the song now Tosh.0 kind of just calling out all these shitty things that people will say for the sake of like comedy and, you know, attention grabbing and all that shit. Like what mm-hmm. kind of brought on that song for you? Um, basically, honestly, that song has very little to do with Daniel Tosh and uh, Seth MacFarlane. Um, that song has it was based on my experiences going to shows and like watching a band and being like, yeah, this band's great. And then they'd be like, this next song's for my ex-girlfriend. She's a whore. And I'd be like, well, uh, I guess I'm going to go outside and wait until you're done playing because I have no interest in your music now. And it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I was at a show and, uh, you know, a uh, the performer was like, oh, uh, is everybody having a nice Christmas break or something like that? And this guy was like, oh, my ex-girlfriend stole my car and crashed it. And he was like, and the performer's response was, what a bitch, let's kill her and throw her in the river. And I was like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah, I was, I was so shocked that I just turned around and walked away. And I was just like, I, I'm, I'm never going to listen to your music ever again. And there's a lot of, I mean, I feel like if there's, less of it um but it's something that i've heard like a million million times oh this song's about my whore ex-girlfriend or um you know just like rape jokes for no reason um you know stuff like that jokes about pedophilia and stuff like that and it's like you know i get it you like family guy you think family guy is funny 
Um, but basically, but when you do those things, you're, I mean, it's, it's not a good move on your part because you're alienating part of your audience, first of all. And, you know, second, I didn't come to this show to be insulted. I didn't come to this show for you to, you know, call women bitches and to say nasty things about your ex-girlfriend. Like if, if your ex-girlfriend is so terrible, write a song about it. And I should be able to hear from the lyrics and from the song itself, terrible your ex was. And if you can't hear that whole shoot, if you can't hear in your was just from that, then your song does not accomplish its point. You didn't, you didn't actually do what you were supposed to. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, in the sense of like, you know, it, I, I'm totally understanding of people who write about their past experiences, like with their partners or thinking that, you know, this person was terrible to me. Everybody's going to do that. That's just part of what comes with music. But, you know, there's no reason to make, a person a butt of the joke and also turn them into something that's like vile to the point of yeah. like wanting to threaten their life or telling somebody to attack another person or you know I've been to enough shows where I've been completely turned off by a band because they made a joke about people who are trans people who um, yeah. who you know are disabled anything that really just is ableist or freaking you know homophobic any of that I'm like okay I'm completely turned off I'm never gonna touch that again so exactly exactly um it's and and it's and it's ridiculous because there's not really anything funny about it it's actually just extremely lazy like you couldn't come up with anything better like i'd rather hear you say this song's about my ex-girlfriend and then you tell me like a really ridiculous story about something that she did that shows that she was not a good fit for you rather than just hear you call her a bitch. Or even if you were like, this song's about my ex-girlfriend, she's a jagaloon, or like a funny word. Like, but just throwing like a, 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 a gendered slur out there or making jokes about trans people or um, just taking pot shots at people who are already marginalized. It's like, this is so lazy and it's so boring and it's not new. It's not anything I haven't heard before. I've seen the first two seasons of Family Guy. I've seen an episode of Tosh.0. I've, you know, I've seen not just another teen movie. Like, I've seen these things. I get it. I get the joke. But the joke is not funny. And, and it takes a lot more creativity um, and just, yeah, it just takes more creativity to come up with jokes that punch up at the power structure as opposed to punching down at marginalized people. Um, and I really think a lot of times too, when people say stuff like this song is about my bitch ex-girlfriend, what you're really saying is I don't have anything of value to say. So I'm going to use all these filler words. That's exactly how it comes across. And like, I'm definitely one of those people that either likes two types of humor, stupid humor or smart mm -hmm. humor, where it's mm -hmm. like stupid humor. You're making like a fart joke or, you yes. know, like. Or somebody falls down and you're like, that's hilarious. He dropped a tray of cupcakes. Yeah, like anything that's like just dorky is fine. Mm -hmm. It's like, as long as you're not being insensitive or hateful, I'm down for it. And like clever humor is even better whenever you can like point out something that's terrible about, like you said, like a power structure that's like harming people. It's like, I'd rather mock somebody who I know is being terrible, like genuinely terrible and harmful than poking exactly. at somebody who's already like going through a lot. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you know, and it's, I'm not trying to say that I've never had this kind of sense of humor. I absolutely did. Um, You know, I I think a lot of people who grew up in, you know, the South Park generation, um, you know, we, for a long time, there were a lot of us that um, made crappy jokes like that and did things and were like, whatever, don't be so sensitive. And then some of us grew up and decided, you know, like, I'm not going to make these jokes anymore because I'm actively hurting people. Um, you know, for me, a lot of that came down to um, thinking about the things that people had said about me um, and saying, well, why, why would I turn this around and say that about somebody else? Why would I do this harmful thing that's been done to me so many times? And realizing, you know, that this just isn't okay. Um, and, and I've gotten to a point now where I used to be this really insensitive person, and it's, like, incredibly embarrassing. Um, you know, when you're looking through, like, the Facebook on this day, and you look back, and it's, like, a status about, like, you know, me making fun of women who wear leggings as pants. And it's, like, Kate, leggings are, like, really comfortable, though. <laughs> like, at that point in my life, I had never worn comfortable leggings. And now I understand. And it's like a lot of a lot of that too. A lot of the people who used to have these terrible senses of humor and liked jokes that punched down on people. Um, a lot of times, another thing that makes that go away is you actually meet those people that you're making fun of. Um, and suddenly trans jokes don't seem so funny when you know a trans person, um, you know, you know, stuff like that or realizing like how harmful those jokes really are to people and seeing you know meeting people and being like well why would I want to say this terrible thing about this person that's my friend you know and it's really just realizing that these ideas that you know groups of people that previously were just ideas in your head are actually real human beings with thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams um once you figure that out, it becomes a lot harder to say mean things about those groups. And you realize you don't want to be the person saying mean things about that group because that group is already going through so much garbage that why would you throw something else on top of it? And it really just comes down to having empathy and sympathy for other people around you. Yeah, that's just so important. I think it just comes down to like, you know, I'm finding more and more people are slowly getting there in the sense of like they're outgrowing their like just disgusting humor that, you know, just came as a consequence of surrounding themselves with tasteless humor and, you know, that being the culture. Um, Right. It's almost like we're starting to see people slowly grow up mature and realize, oh shit, it's kind of important to keep in mind what experiences that marginalized communities go through or maybe I shouldn't say something without taste and you know I think some of it helps too that some people are starting to go into sort of more professional environments where it's like no I can't just throw around this like you know racist joke anymore because I'm gonna get Mm -hmm. fired or you know people are being forced to kind of think about it whether it be any kind of environment of like meeting people who are actually marginalized like you said or being Mm -hmm. forced to like you know people around them are kind of forcing them to think about what they're going to say and what it means. So it's absolutely, it's absolutely. Like, that's my hope at this point. It's just like, you're going to figure it out somehow, whether I tell you or somebody else does just like, okay. yeah, whether I tell you on the internet or you get fired from your job. Yeah. One I mean, way or another, it's going to happen. You're going to learn your lesson at some point. 
Right, right. And I think that you brought up a really good point, too, that that that, that was the culture of humor for a very long time was uh, at least like when I was growing up and uh, you know, in the nineties, there was the, the stand-up comic boom. Um, yeah. And, you know, just like when a, a genre of music blows up um, you know, at first you have the really good people who um, are actually, you know, funny and talented at what they do. And then once the genre starts to explode and once stand-up got, bigger and bigger and bigger uh there was more room for people who were not as good and were just making punch down jokes all of the time or were like insult comics which i personally do not find that funny um just because any kind of insult comic stuff is based is very superficial it's based on how you present yourself to the world and that's it it's you know there's there's no real substance to it it's just kind of like somebody making your mama jokes, but about you almost. Yeah. It's like Um, self-deprecating and it's like, yeah, you don't need to sit there and tear yourself down or tire somebody else down to entertain us. We're good. Like 100%. Yeah. And so there was this culture, there was this idea that a lot of us grew up with that culture had to be insulting and mean and rude and punching down and hurting other people because of the way that culture, because of the way, because of what was coming out of comedy at that time. And I think now that that's not so much the case, there's a lot of pushback against that kind of comedy. There are shows and comics that you can find out there that are, um, you know, funny and good and actually have good material um, that isn't just based around like, ha ha, gendered slur homophobic slur etc um and so and it's and it's hard to break away from that culture of insult comedy and punching down comedy when that's all that you've ever really known or witnessed and it's you you have to literally like get away from it and then once you go back to it and you know i got away from south park for like a season or two and then once i went back i was like man this is i don't know i don't know about this (laughs) You know, um, and it was like the same kind of thing with Family Guy where like the first two seasons I had watched them and enjoyed their first couple seasons before they went on hiatus. I had watched them and enjoyed them. And then it came back on the air and it was like way worse. And then I revisited the original episodes and I was like, mm, I mean, this has got a couple good jokes here and there, but it's really not that great. Um, so you really have to separate yourself from that culture and find other things that are funny um, to understand why that stuff is not so funny. It's um, totally true. Yeah. Like, I know for me, it's like, you know, I've kind of even done that with sometimes with music too. Cause it's like, I think about, you know, middle school, a lot oh, of us man. were still like trying to find like what types of music that we liked. And we're all, I, you know, I, I always put myself on blast. And I put everybody around me on blast. Like we all listen to radio butt rock at some point. And oh, then for sure. Yeah. And, like, it was yeah. funny. I turned on the radio the other day, and it was, like, local, like, kind of bro rock station was on. It's, like, I used to, like, you know, listen to that. But now, like, I listen to it all day because I had it playing while I was working on some stuff. And I wasn't mm-hmm. really, like, actively listening to it until I stepped back. And I was, like, I didn't hear a single woman's voice the entire day. Yeah. Like, I did yep. not hear any kind of diversity. I literally, I think I just listened to, like, white dudes playing guitar all day long yeah. and I'm like how did yeah. that happen and then you, I have to step back and think about it I'm like okay I know that local radio station will throw like 
entire festivals where like that's all that is there and that's mm-hmm. all that that crowd knows and I'm like you know not to insult an entire group of people here but it's like well no wonder why that shit happens you have people out there who are perpetuating that culture and it's it's shitty but absolutely because there's absolutely. still an audience for it I mean every every genre is guilty of it of course there's no there's no perfect solution or perfect group of people out there per se but it's like yeah. oh yeah Oh, yeah. I mean, even in in genres that are, you know, supposed to be open minded or generally accepting, which like I I think a lot of people, you know, ska wants to be that ska very much wants to be that, especially because the roots of ska are based in, um, you know, anti-racism. Yeah. Um, But there are definitely times where, you know, people, like I said, they grew up in this like South Park comedy culture and it comes across in their music. and it's just like, this is so boring. Like, oh, you wrote a song about a girl who doesn't like Scott. Okay. Well, like Catch-22 wrote that song in like ni- 1990-something. So like, give me something new here. Or there was like another, there was a band that had a song. The whole, the whole song was based around the concept that he dated this girl, she dumped him, and then she gained weight. That was oh the whole God. concept of the song. That was the concept. And it was, it was called Thanks for Getting Fat. And I was like... Whoa. Are you? Yeah. And I, and, and the, the, the video and everything, I mean, it was like, it could have been produced by one of these crappy punch down comics. Like it was just, it was really, really bad. And I think some genres, like they, they try to play like that, but there are those, those missteps and those mistakes are in every single genre of music. Um, you know, and, and as far as, you know, list turning on the radio and listening to music and only hearing you know, dudes and white dudes, basically. I mean, I listen to a lot of classic rock radio just because it's what I listened to growing up. And it's, I know most of the songs, so I know if I turn it on, I'm going to hear something I probably know. And I'm just going from point A to point B and don't really feel like thinking about it. Yeah. Um, And it's just white dude after white dude after white dude. And then it's like, oh, well, this white dude's from England. That's some variety for us. (laughs) You know, and that's the most you get. Yeah, that's basically it. It's like, oh, Bowie, that's the most diversity that we're going to get is this bisexual man from England or Queen, who's bi- you know, Freddie Mercury, a bisexual man, um, you know, from from England, but of non-white descent. I'm messing up on what his heritage is. Um, yeah, but still, like, but that's, that's, that's the most had. diversity that we're going to, that you're going to hear on, like, a classic rock radio station. And a lot of those themes that are in that music are still in the music today of, oh, I wish I had Jesse's girl. Jesse's girl doesn't even have a name. You know what I mean? Like those, those themes of, oh, I want this girl to be with me and the guy she's with sucks. There that's still in music. And you talked about like, you know, listening back to stuff that you listened to when you were younger. Like I re-listened to brand news, uh, your favorite weapon recently. And sonically, it's still an amazing album, but some of the lyrics in that, I mean, the lyrics to Jude Law in a semester abroad are just horrifying when you actually think about what he is saying um, as far as, you know, I hope the next boy that you kiss has something terribly contagious on your lips or, you know, the whole second verse is about how she better die in a plane crash. Like, really? This is the, this is something that you wanted to express to the whole world. And I, you know, I hate to break it to you, Jesse Lacey. I really doubt you were completely faultless in that relationship. So, you know, maybe take a step back and reconsider 
what you're putting out there. But there were a lot of people, myself included, you know, men, women, non-binary people who took those messages and took them to heart. And I think, you know, for a lot of women and femmes that we took them to heart to, and we kind of gender swapped them in our head, um, but not necessarily for guys to think like, that someone on the other side of the aisle could think this way too. And all they see is like, yeah, Jesse Lacey really gets it. Yeah. Women are just bitches, you know, and it's embarrassing to listen back to that and think about how much I really loved that song when I was younger. Um, but you know, I mean, I think Jesse Lacey has grown up and he's grown out of that. And what I'm hoping is that we see more of that afterwards and less of that before picture. Yeah. That's, that's really what's important is like, you can, you start to see that bands start to mature out of these really distasteful sounds and music that they put together that is really kind of hateful toward women and femmes and people who they've had relationships with. And absolutely, I just, you just get and, to and, a and, point where it's like, please stop. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to wonder how the people, you know, the people that those songs were written about, you have to wonder what it's like to hear a song that says, you know, that you should have died in a plane crash. You should have yeah, drowned in the bottom hurt. of the sea because it would make my life easier if you were dead, you know, just because you broke up with me. Um, you know, and that's, it, it's, it's sad. I can't imagine what that feels like. I mean, they, you know, the woman who Delilah from the song, Hey There Delilah has been interviewed about this before. And the guy who wrote that song used to stalk her. And everybody who listens to that song just thinks, oh, this poor guy, he just really likes Delilah. And it's like, no, that's not the case. This dude is a straight up creep. Like he's a problem. And this song is proof of what a creep he is. And, you know, I, I think that it's totally fine to write about your personal relationships, obviously, because I've written several songs about mine, but you have to be careful about how you frame that. And I understand Jesse Lacey probably really wanted to hurt that woman when he wrote that song, but you have to think about how that affects all the other people around you as well. And the message that you're sending out to the world and not just the person that you wrote the song about. Um, and I don't necessarily think, but you know, I don't necessarily think that he was thinking about those things at that time. And you know, and I'm really lucky too that I've been writing lyrics since I was like a teenager and Downtrotter is the first time that they've ever really gotten out there. Um, so I'm very lucky in that, that there are years and years and years of probably horrible lyrics that I have lost on computers and are gone now, thank God, um, that I'm very glad are not out there. And so it is, you know, it, it can be tough for people like that to overcome that. I mean, um, you know, every musician who's out there who's been in the game for a long time has old material that they're very embarrassed about. And if I were Jesse Lacey, I would be very embarrassed about that. So I'm, I'm lucky in that none of that is out. As far as lyrically, there's nothing out there that people can point to and be like, remember when you wrote that song when you were 19 about how your friend, you know, made you sad? That's pretty sad. You know, I'm glad that's not, that's not out there. Yeah, no kidding. I think that between, you know, the maturity standpoint and then there's almost like sometimes with every genre, there's almost a pressure to perform and address certain things that are considered to be cool or the it thing of that genre. Like, you know, yes. um, with, with a lot of like, you know, pop punk or even just punk in general, there's that, you know, you feel like you have to be a 
never grow up, drink and party forever kind of mentality that you'll hear mm -hmm. across the board. And like, there's almost like this weird pressure, I feel like for some bands to like deliver that kind of music. And sometimes there are consequences with that where it's like, you know, somebody gets sexualized or somebody receives like, you know, an, an abusive attitude toward a person and such. Um, right, absolutely. Do you ever feel um, like genres kind of put that pressure and have you ever felt kind of a negative pressure to do a certain thing because of like, you know, hardcore or anything like that? Um, like a trope to break or anything? I mean, there, there's, there's always a concern of mine when I'm writing new songs. I think to myself, you know, did someone already write this song? Can I, can I write a song about catcalling? that's better than that's better than or as good as or saying something different than these three other songs about catcalling that I can name off the top of my head sure um you know there's there's certain things that I definitely want to avoid writing songs about because it's something that has already kind of been covered and that people kind of already know about um and I, I definitely do feel pressure in that way um I don't really I feel like there's um there's there's a pressure in hardcore to never appear vulnerable um which I don't think is okay and I think it really feeds into um toxic masculinity in in the and the idea is that it's only the only acceptable emotions for a man are horny and angry um and it really feeds into that when you don't leave any room for emotional vulnerability in your music and I mean my the stuff that I've written it's pretty vulnerable to put out there I mean yeah. even if I hadn't explicitly said yes this is about an abusive relationship that I experienced it's probably pretty obvious that either I or someone very close to me has been through this yes. um so to put that out there it I was definitely very worried when it first came out um I was worried about my abuser contacting me and I was also kind of worried about people looking you know reading the lyrics and looking at it and being like well you know, why does she think that, you know, if it's not acceptable to write a song about killing women, why is it acceptable to write a song about killing a male abuser? Um, you know, stuff like that. I was kind of worried about that aspect of it. Um, but I think there's this idea that you have to be tough at all times. And I, and I think that that's a, a terrible mentality to encourage. Um, and I would encourage anyone who's involved in hardcore to be real about who they are and what they're going through. Um, you know, and it's, this is definitely something that affects men a lot, um, that they don't feel like they can express these emotions of vulnerability or sadness or loss or, um, you know, really, like I said, anything besides angry and horny, that it's not okay for them to express these emotions. And when those things get bottled up and they get pushed down, um, it's not healthy for the individual who's doing it and it's not healthy for the people around them because that has to go somewhere eventually. You can't just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. And what happens is either uh, that person attacks someone else or that person attacks themselves. And I don't want either of those things to happen. There is a serious problem with men committing suicide in the United States that is very rarely addressed. Um, because men are not supposed to have these emotions and they're not supposed to feel sadness or uh, loneliness or vulnerability. They're only supposed to feel these prescribed, okayed 
emotions. Um, and what happens is guys shut themselves off, they get depressed, and then ultimately end up killing themselves. And it's a shame. And the fact that we're not even talking about it is just, is just horrifying to me. Um, you know, having lost a few people myself, um, all guys, to suicide, um, and knowing that at least two of them felt like that they could not reach out to other people with these feelings, um, it's, it's just absolutely devastating. And we need to start allowing men to have those emotions. We need to allow everyone to have emotions. And whether it's allowing men to be sad or allowing women to be angry or, you know, anything, any kind of emotion should be okay to express, um, you know, as long as you're not harming someone around you. And we really need to open that up. And, and, and I do think that that's something that I really hope that more men will talk about is, is talking about allowing other men to express their, their emotions, um, you know, honestly, literally before it becomes too late. No, that's awesome. And I honestly think that, you know, there being more and more bands out there like yours that are kind of pushing the boundary of what emotions that you can showcase on stage within a scene, within a genre, within music in general is going to be what really makes a difference and pushes people to start to reconsider how they present their music and what they can really put into it. So I hope so. Yeah. That's a really positive way to eventually start to shape it it's like you know this can actually make a difference this can actually start to shift the culture to allow people to express deeper so that's that's just so important yes no absolutely and and you know this is one of the few things i mean when it comes to something like toxic masculinity um that's not really a subject i can write about um i know how internalized misogyny affects me i know how toxic masculinity has affected me as a butch woman um, especially with the not like other girls mentality and saying um, gross or inappropriate or um, just straight up horrible things as a way to fit in with guys. I can talk about that kind of stuff, but I can't talk about what it's like to not be able to express sadness when someone dies. I can't talk about what it's like to, to not be able to express sadness that your girlfriend broke up with you and not follow that sadness up with, well, she was a bitch anyway. I can't talk about those things. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take men talking about those things for those things to change. Um, you know, I don't ever want to overstep my bounds or, you know, make suggestions on how to deal with things that I don't actually personally endure. Um, because I think a lot of times when people try to overstep those bounds, um, it doesn't really help anybody. And it's just more frustrating for the person who's experiencing the problems. So for, for these things to change, I think more men need to be talking about it. And I'm more than happy to listen. Um, but I can't have that conversation for you. Well, here's to that conversation just starting to pick up because I think that exposing more and more music that allows people to express themselves to the fullest extent, I think that's really going to be what helps shift. And there's a lot of really great ways to kind of keep pushing that out there, you know, people Absolutely. who are writing music, who are sharing it, who take it on the road, all of it's going to be what helps kind of build up where we can actually listen to each other and feel each other to a fuller, more safe sense. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I really hope that that does happen. I, um, 
I, I would like to hear more hardcore songs from guys where they talk about their emotions and they talk about the things that are going through their going on in their lives with some kind of vulnerability as opposed to just straight up anger at all times. And sometimes anger is totally appropriate. Some situations that that is what the emotion that comes forth, but there are other situations that are happening in your life um, where that that's not the key emotion. That's not the main thing that's going on. And we need, and we need more men expressing those opinions, uh, you know, those emotions in my opinion, so that those emotions become more acceptable. If you keep just, blocking yourself off and saying, this is how I'm going to express what I'm going through. Anger, 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 anger. You have to let the sadness out sometime, you know? No, it's totally true. And even if you're kind of using that anger to start the conversation of like, yeah, I'm angry because I can't tell everybody how sad I really am. Or I'm angry because I am dealing with all this stuff going on in my life and I can't fix it. You know, like, there's there's always a root cause to anger to begin with it's like you're not angry just to be angry so right why you're angry instead and don't don't direct it toward you know a gender or a specific person to such an extent unless it's somebody who's terrible like you know like I would love to hear everybody who is pissed off at like our freaking presidency right now, but that doesn't fix yeah. our problems. So whatever, maybe no. I want to hear it. I don't care. <laughs> but. Exactly. No, I totally get that. And there, there, like I said, there's definitely a place for anger. Yeah. Um, but like you said, there's, there's a root cause for the, for, for feeling that way. And you know, if you're writing a song about how uh, your girlfriend dumped you and how terrible that makes you feel, well, it makes you feel terrible partially because you were rejected, but it also makes you feel terrible because of the way our society is structured that makes you feel like you need to have a girlfriend and you should be in charge of them. And for a woman to have opinions and stand up and say, no, um, that's not something that our society necessarily thinks is okay to do. Um, so maybe just talking about the expectations um, that are, you know, just for, as an example, for straight men, um, the, the thought that you should have a girlfriend, she should do these things for you. You shouldn't have to do these things for her or else you're whipped, things like that. Um, you know, that's a lot of what you're really angry about is that, that you, you feel like you have failed in that and society is setting you up to fail. So explore those emotions more talk about that more because there are definitely other men who are going through the same thing and we need someone to talk about it and again i can't write that song for you well i if i have any straight dude listeners take notes (laughs) please please (laughs) this is important you need to there's a lot of material out there i think kate just gave you a ton of notes and ideas if you were already just freaking do it because this is important and it needs to be freaking heard (laughs) no it needs it needs to be talked about it needs to be talked about please have your emotions please allow them to happen and and let them out because it's going to eat you inside it's going to it's just going to eat you alive you're going to develop an ulcer or you're going to take it out on the the people that you don't mean to take it out on and uh sometimes those people will not come back afterwards so you know, please feel your range of emotions. Be a human being. Don't lock yourself down. Yeah, seriously. I think, I think that's just really well said. So, Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's just important stuff.
Um, so another question that I kind of had for you too was to kind of dipping into your experiences of playing shows and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What's your favorite one that you've done so far? Oh my gosh. With Downtrotter specifically, um, let me think. We played a really great um, festival that was up in Brooklyn. Um, it was called Ladies First Fest. And it was all, um, it was done in two weeks. It was two matinee shows. Um, and it was all bands with women and femmes um, with songs about things that women and femmes go through. Um, and that was really fantastic. The the bands that we played with our day were really great. Um, the promoter uh, was a fantastic dude named Gerard um, and really um, had put a lot of thought into the, the fest and how it was going to work. And between those two matinee shows, um, we raised almost $1,000 for RAIN, the uh, Rape Abuse Incest National Network. Um, which has a free hotline for um, survivors and victims. And I think they also do um, like uh, placement, connecting them with local resources and stuff like that. And obviously that's very, very close to my heart um, because I'm very lucky that I do have the support system surrounding me that I do. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who don't have those support systems and they need someone to talk to. And knowing that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can call somebody up and say, hey, I had a really bad flashback today. I just need somebody to talk to and, and, and work it out of my system. Um, that's very, very important. And it was also great because, um, you know, nearly $1,000 was raised um, between these two matinee shows. That's a lot of money to be raised off of a show. And I thought it was really wonderful. Um, that Gerard managed to walk that line um, and keep the fest affordable, pay for the space, pay for the bands, um, and still make this gigantic donation. And it made me very proud of to, to be part of something like that. And and that honestly was a big part of why I started Downtrotter was playing, you know, I've played so many shows, you know, starting back in 2003. Um, and a lot of times music feels very selfish to me um, in that I feel like I'm taking more than I'm giving. And so when, when I started Downtrotter, I was very explicit in that I wanted to do benefit shows and I wanted to be on benefit comps and I wanted to donate merch sales and donate, you know, band camp sale, sales to different, um, nonprofits and stuff like that. Um, because personally I don't have the money to do that myself, but I do have this thing that I like to do that I can use to raise money and also just as a way to give back to these different communities that have supported me and also different communities that helped make punk and hardcore what they are. Um, You know, a lot of people tend to think of punk as being this white boy genre and that it's back to them and, um, you know, not just be taking all of the time. So that's probably like my favorite show that we've done recently. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, like there's also just, you know, there's, there's so many great basement shows that I've played where it was like, you know, the, the bands I was playing with were really good and I was excited to see them and my band played and that was great. And everybody who came out to the show was there for the music and had a great time and nobody got out of control and the cops didn't get called. And like 
those basement shows I um, for the people who come out and are there to see genuinely see the music and enjoy seeing you and get into it. Um, those those are always my favorite shows. Definitely the 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 basement shows where everybody's there to have a good time, but at the same time everybody's looking out for one another and understanding that my good time is not any more important than your good time. That's awesome. That's like all you can ask for as far as having like a really good show is, you know, everybody Mm -hmm. getting along, everybody enjoying the music and just like feeling that sense of community all in one space. And that's. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of times, depending on what scene you're in, sometimes basement shows can be a little clicky. They might be kind of hard to get in. Um, And when that feeling does not exist, it's really very wonderful when you actually get the houses that are open to everybody and anybody. Um, Those are some great places to be. Um, As far as like Philly goes, um, you know, both um, Trelfamador and Slime Time Live have been really, really great to us. Um, The pharmacy, uh, there's a venue in South Philly has been really, really great to us. And, excuse me, have been very, very um, welcoming to not just us, but to everybody who shows up to the door and there's, you know, you can feel the vibe when you walk in that this is like a good place to be, that there are other good people here and people just want to have a good time and maybe meet some other people who like the same kind of music as them. Um, you know, those are always the best shows for me. Yeah. That, that's just everything you could ever want. And for real, for real. I can, I mean like, yeah, great. You gave me two drink tickets, but like nobody watched my band who cares, you know, <laughs> or you get, you know, the, we, the, it sounded great, but you know, when I showed up to the venue, somebody gave me shit at the door because they didn't think I was actually in a band. Well, now I don't want to play your venue ever again. I don't care how good it sounded because I had to, you know, get past your gatekeeper to even be at my own show, I don't want to play your venue ever again. I have just literally zero interest. That's totally legitimate. Um, yeah, yeah. And there have been situations where we've played, you know, I've played places with bands and just been kind of not really wanting to go back there just because of the attitude that I received from people at the venue um and it's a shame when that happens because you, you know not everybody at the venue mess um emily or second you know not so great or not really part of the scene um you know and it seems like such a little thing but when it happens over and over and over it's you know it's all these little things that add up and eventually it's like i'm not dealing with this anymore i'm not gonna put up with this um, you know, whether it's somebody who won't let you in or the sound guy who refuses to turn up your mic in the monitor, um, or, you know, spans and they ask, yeah, I'm playing tonight on stage. That's why I asked you about drink specials for bands. Like, I'm, what do you want from me after a while? And they make it hard to continue going. But when you play this and say, venues that are very welcoming and they don't second guess you guess you or ask you any questions like that um those are the places that help keep you going and those are the interactions that you know help keep you going through through the crappy ones yeah no i mean when you go to a show and you're somebody who's performing or trying to work the event and you've got people giving you shit doesn't exactly make you want to come back 
doesn't exactly no. think you want to help them in any way going forward or do anything for them to book another show or do, frankly, just any other interaction beyond that. So No, absolutely not. And I think a lot of those people need to realize that when that stuff happens, it doesn't stay with me. It doesn't stay with the person that it happened to. No, it's I might, you tell I, I, I might not call you out publicly on Facebook, but if somebody's, if I find out that a woman that I'm friends with is playing a show at that venue, I'm going to slip them a private message and say, hey, just as a heads up, you know, the last time I was there, this is what happened. Or the last time, you know, that, you know, a friend of mine had a really bad experience with that promoter um, and and uh, just just as a as a heads up, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just trying to let you know my experiences. And word does get around. And eventually, um, you know, if if you value having people who are not just white dudes playing your, your venue, uh, you have to act like it, or otherwise we are going to tell our friends and we're going to tell other people in the community, and nobody's going to want to play your shows anymore. So you're really cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I think that really just shows like the strength of, you know, friendships that end up forming in the community and Mm -hmm. who really does give a fuck about how others are treated within a show space. Absolutely. And there's, and, and, you know, you'll run into other people and say, oh, you played at that place too. Oh, we had such a good experience there. And they'll say, yeah, so did we. Or you'll say, oh, I had like a weird thing happen there where like, a drunk guy kept trying to touch my ankles while I was on stage and they'll be like, Oh, and I'm, and I'll be like, yeah, well, you know, the management didn't really do anything about it. It was actually my bandmate and a waitress that took care of it. And then they go, Oh, and then they don't play that venue anymore. Um, and there is definitely like a almost, you know, when you meet women and femmes in other bands, there's almost like an instant bond there. Um, that we've experienced a lot of these similar things and we kind of uh, it's like a spidey sense kind of thing where like they'll talk to you about an experience that you have and it's like you know the hair on your neck starts standing up a little bit and you're like oh I know where this story is going I know what he's gonna say next you know he said this to you and then he said this to you and then the next thing he's gonna say is well if you don't like it starts your own band you know there's like a there's like almost like a, a a script that they go through um and you can feel it coming when they tell you these stories um and those stories they get around after a while so if you really want to you know book inclusively and you want to book good bands um you better be careful about the way that you treat people because it is going to get around if you don't treat us well yeah well there are consequences to actions and Mm -hmm. you know inclusivity has to be your priority otherwise you're it's going to come back to you at some point one way or another. So. Absolutely. And I, I, I don't, I think especially too, for um, people who haven't been promoting or booking as long, they don't realize that there are going to be these repercussions for their actions and that there are consequences for the way that they treat people or the way that they run shows. You know, even if it's something as simple as we played a weeknight show and it ran over by an hour and a half nobody wants to be at a weeknight show at one o'clock in the morning, especially the people who are in the houses beside the house that's having the show. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to be careful about the way that you treat people because it is going to come back to you eventually. Well, the very cool thing at, to at least note out of, you know, probably all the crazy experiences that you and other people and bands have had is at least there's kind of that camaraderie and communication that you can kind of have there. And 
be able to take that with each other and know what you're getting into when you go play another show. That's absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, and I do want to add too that it's not just the negative stuff that gets around. Um, you know, obviously when some, there's a big call out post that goes everywhere. Um, but when, you know, I have a great experience at a house like, uh, Trafalmador or Slime Time Live, I'm going to tell other people that I know in bands, Hey man, you should try to play Slime Time. Like that, that's a great place. We had such a good time. The promoter was real, the super nice. Everybody at the house was really cool. Um, those things get around too. Um, so don't think that it's just the negative stuff that gets passed on. When I have a really good experience uh, with a venue or with a promoter or even with another band, I'm going to tell other people about that, especially when I find out that somebody else is thinking about playing with them. I'm like, do it. That's the place you want to play. That's the band you want to play with. We had a great time with them. Um, so so the, the positive gets around too, you know? Yeah, that's super cool. You know, you mentioned, of course, the thought of like, that was a really cool band to play with or that was somebody that you had a great experience with. Mm-hmm. If you could play a tour or a show with anybody, who would you want to play with? Oh, wow. Um, does How many am I allowed to pick? <laughs> I'll give you three. <laughs> You'll give me three. Um, I guess, I mean, I should really choose unattainable pe- bands or people. There's no but, limit here. <laughs> well, I mean, then I'm just going to say like Prince and Queen. But uh, <laughs> but as far as, you know, bands that are still around, um, I would love to play with War on Women. I would love to play with Open City, uh, Gouge Away, Night Witch, like the bands that I mentioned that are really big influences. Uh, if some kind of miracle occurred and Punch got back together or uh, Cersei got back together, would love to play with them. Um, Really, the people that I really want to play with are the people who inspire me and the people that I look up to um, because I have absolutely no shame in an audience. When I'm seeing a band that I like, I will absolutely lose my mind. It does not matter if they are my personal friends or it is someone I have never met before in my life. Um, and you can ask people who I'm friends with, uh, that like, I love their bands. Like, uh, you know, the guys in Kill Lincoln are all my friends, but anytime I see that band, I have absolutely no shame and lose my, lose my shit and scream in their faces and jump around and do whatever. Um, so really the bands that I would want to play with are the bands that I would enjoy seeing the most, um, because I want to go and lose my shit to their music. <laughs> Yeah, I've had a lot of friends who have gone on tour with eventually the people that they really admire. And they're like, there's nothing better than being able to, you know, sing along or dance around or really get into a band that I really like every night for like a week, two weeks, a month. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like the best of the worst did a little uh, like weekender with uh, Kill Lincoln. It was only three days. It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I mean, just the being with them for those three days and seeing them play for three nights in a row um, was awesome. And I had just such a good time and they're, they're all really uh, great people as well. So that was really fantastic. Um, But yeah, anytime that you have the opportunity to see a band you like multiple nights in a row is great. And also, you know, you start, when you start seeing bands a lot, you start picking up on funny things that they do or the little looks that they give each other, or you'll notice that, Oh, this, this one person, they always do this one thing during the song. And you kind of like nudge your pal. You like nudge your bandmate, like, Oh, she's going to do it. She's gonna, oh, she did it. Uh, you know what I mean? There's stuff like that. 
Um, and you start to develop, you know, you develop friendships with these people that you play music with. And they're some of the best friendships that I've ever had. Um, you know, partially because you're going, you know, you're interested in the same things and you do the same things and you go through a lot of these same experiences. But also, I mean, you know, punk and hardcore tend to draw a lot of the same kind of people. Um, and I think really, too, what's fantastic is that thanks to the Internet, you can keep in touch with these people really, really easily. Um, you know, you know, like when I was a kid, I would go to summer camp and then you would like what send letters until I got into high school and then you could send emails and talk on AIM. Well, now, I mean, I can think of somebody that I saw that I went on tour with or that I played a couple shows with five years ago and I can open up Facebook and go, Hey, remember that time when we did this thing and I fell down and it was so hilarious and you know, they can get back in touch with me within seconds or minutes or, you know, whenever they have the time to get back in touch with me. And that's awesome. You know, I've had friends who I play music with who moved to opposite coasts or moved around the world or just, you know, a couple hours away and it's just hard to see them and to be able to stay in contact with them because of Facebook and because of texting and stuff like that. It's, it's really fantastic and some really beautiful friendships grow out of it. Yeah, I'm sure the fact that you're able to kind of keep those relationships going and share each other's stuff, being able to support each other from any distance is just, that's one of the magic pieces of the internet is that you can still do that and you can kind of keep up with each other growing and doing and just putting yeah. themselves out there. So that's really awesome. Absolutely. And, and the other thing too, that it's like so nerdy, but one of the things I love about Facebook, absolutely love is like around, you know, different holidays, you'll get like people that you've met through punk and hardcore and ska and stuff like that, like dressed up posing for pictures at Easter or Christmas <laughs> or Rosh Hashanah, you know, and it's like, it's, I love seeing that kind of stuff too. I know it sounds really dorky, but I absolutely love to see punks with their families on holidays. I think it's amazing. And I think it, it's a good reminder of, um, you know, you might see this person as somebody who's up on stage and they're this fantastic star, but you know, after the show ends, they go and take a shower and they go home and then they have their family and their friends and they're real genuine people. Um, and I think that that's definitely something very important to, to keep in mind is that, you know, it's very easy to put people that make music that we like up on pedestals and forget that they are real people, but they are. And I love seeing those little looks into people's lives. Um, sibling day just passed and I absolutely loved it. Easter's coming up. Passover's happening right now. And I love it. I love to see those pictures. I know it's totally nerdy. And I also love when punks have kids and they post pictures of their punk kids. <laughs> That's amazing. I just, I, I adore it. And I know it sounds really weird. Um, especially for me, because I've chosen I'm never going to have kids. But I love to see the pictures of your punk children. I absolutely like you got a kid with green hair. You are a cool mom. You're a cool dad. Like, that's, that's awesome. And then you're like letting them listen to like, you know, the Ergs and stuff like that. Like the Ergs is great music for kids. The Aquabats were like meant for children. I'm glad that you this is how you're raising your kid because that's how we're going to get the next generation of punk and hardcore and ska fans. Yeah, you got to start them small. It's awesome. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I got into ska because my older sister gave me a Boston's uh, tape. That's you know, awesome. it was that, that was how I got into things. And I remember I had only been involved in classical music at that point, And I didn't really even know much about punk or ska or anything. And she gave me this tape and I was like, oh, this is so cool. You could play the trumpet and be in a band and like, 
not be a total nerd that's awesome <laughs> and it was like huge and life-changing for me to to receive that tape from my older sister and so i'm like forever in debt to her for that my sister my other sister carrie that was my sister mandy my sister carrie uh got me into like the ergs and nerf herder and stuff like that and so i do owe um a lot of my musical taste to them even though we're not you know we're not identical twins or anything but it's because of those influences and them showing me this stuff when i was younger that i was really able to get into this stuff at a younger age um and you know again like my sister mandy i had stolen her trumpet you know when i was younger and learned how to teach myself and if it wasn't for her i probably wouldn't have started until later and that head start was something that really kept me ahead of my classmates and made it easy for me to keep going um, because I, I was ahead and when, you know, you know, trumpet is kind of like a male quote unquote instrument. And when guys would try to put me down or whatever, you know, I could prove myself and I spent a lot of time in practice rooms being able to do that. And it, that head start and also having my older sister as, as somebody that I could look up to who's here's this uh, woman that I know who plays the trumpet. Um, that really meant a lot to me. Um, and, uh, and it's something that I've like carried throughout my life. All, all of the, the women in my family have been very inspirational for me. Well, it's really neat that, you know, you were able to start young, you got into music, you felt for it, you had the people that helped shape you into being able to keep that passion going. And then here you are now playing in a band, still playing trumpet. You've got a band where you're able to get a lot of your feelings out. It sounds like you've been able to accomplish so much. And, <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> it's really badass. And like, it, I'm sure there's so much more to come. What kind of goals do you have for yourself personally with music and then with your bands? Um, I mean, personally for myself, um, my goals are pretty simple. Um, I would like to uh, continue in therapy and uh, get better than I am now. Um, I do have, I mean, I suffer from depression and generalized anxiety. Um, and also like the, the remnants of my abusive relationship. I haven't gotten a diagnosis on that yet, but I have strong suspicions of PTSD. Um, but to work, to continue working on that so that I can live my best and full life and also be able to help other people in those situations or who have gone through similar things, um, to help them and to be in, be an ear, be a shoulder to cry on. Um, and also to be an example of, yes, you can go to therapy and you can start working on these things and you can better yourself. Um, you know, another big, just personal goal for myself is I would like to be, to, to continue, um, on a journey of becoming as compassionate and as kind as possible. Um, like I said, when I was younger, I was very, you know, too edgy for me, kind of bullshit and wasn't a very nice person. And I have a lot of regrets about that time in my life. Um, and I would like to continue becoming a more compassionate person, becoming a kinder person to be able to look at what other people go through and listen and try to support them as they're going through that and amplify their voice. Um, those are very important things for me. Um, but as far as like what I'd like to really accomplish with Downtrotter, um, the big the, the big things that I would like to accomplish, um, just continue playing shows, continue playing music, um, keep raising money for things that I think are important and that need our support, especially during this current administration. Um, 
to, to keep giving back to that. And also, you know, like I said, to kind of offer a place of refuge for people who have been through the stuff that I've been through, who've been in abusive relationships or um, are struggling to persevere in the world as it is set up right now um, to kind of give them a place where you can go, you can come to the downtrotter show and you can yell about what a shithead your abuser is. And you can yell about what a shithead, uh, you know, Trump is, or you can yell, you know, just let those emotions out and move around and get them out of your body so that you can continue on for a little bit longer. If I can offer some kind of refuge to people like that, uh, to anyone really, I, I feel like I've accomplished something. And even to just hear back from people like, you know, this song, you know, I've decided this song's about my abuser. Yes, it is. It's 100% about your abuser and you sing it loud, you know, get those emotions out of you and just release them because this song is for you. And the songs that I write, I mean, half of them I'm writing for myself and half of them I'm writing, I'm half writing it for the other people who are going through the same thing because I want you to know you're not alone in this. Other people are going through this and we're struggling too. And if we band together and we talk about it and we take care of each other, we're going to make it like we are going to survive this and we're not just going to survive it. We're going to thrive. We're going to have great lives. We're going to leave that bullshit behind us and we're going to take care of each other. Well said. I think that a lot of people are really going to benefit from the kind of music that downtrodder is putting out there and the messaging that you're putting out there. So that's just incredible. What's next for downtrodder? Do you have any new music coming up? Any tour? Um, We are, uh, we have a bunch of songs that are going to be recorded for an EP. We're trying to lock down recording dates. Uh, We have a, we're doing like a little uh, four day excursion in June. Um, with a band called Sister Munch from New York that had been on that Ladies First Fest with us um, that we're going to hit up a couple of states um, south of us, which will be very nice. And um, really, uh, any opportunities that come our way as far as, um, you know, benefit shows, benefit comps, basement shows, uh, we're interested. <laughs> we're, we're, we're definitely, uh, we're open to whatever's out there at this point. So that's, that's what's on the calendar, but we'll have more stuff soon. We hope. Well, that's awesome. I'm very excited to hear that. I'll be keeping an ear and eye out for a new AP. That sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Where can everybody find the current EP and keep up with downtrotter? Our current EP is free to download on Bandcamp at downtrotter.bandcamp.com. That's downtrodden with an R instead of an N. Uh, We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, We have some shirts that are available on our Facebook if you'd like to buy a shirt. Um, And I believe that is all of our social media. Um, But yeah, that's free to download. Or if you want to uh, toss us a couple bucks, that's great. If you would want to toss us a couple bucks and tell us where you'd like us to donate it, I'll do that for you in a heartbeat. Just tell me where you want it donated. Um, And we'd be happy to do that. That's awesome. Well, everybody's got to make sure they check out some of what Don Trotter has out there and all the incredible music. You won't be disappointed. Thanks so much, Kate. Thank you for having me. This was awesome.
heard Kate of Downtrotter. It was incredible breaking down the details of each of Downtrotter's songs and the impact they can have for people. That's it for this week, but you can find plenty of Downtrotter on Bandcamp and other social media outlets. In case you need some more Angry Girl Music updates, check me out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, the user at Angry Girl Music. If you're interested in being guests on an episode, shoot me an email at angrygirlmusic at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Amanda Starling. Stay fierce and build up your scene.